Hi, I'm Blake Repine and welcome to Strategy, Leadership and Impact. Hi everybody, welcome back to this episode of Strategy, Leadership and Impact. Hope you've been well since the last time you tuned in. Uh, things have been pretty busy for me, uh, kind of been all over the place lately, but getting a lot done, being very productive. And recently I had some quiet time, so I actually sat down and I was reading the May edition of HRM Magazine, which is the magazine that's put out by the Australian Human Resources Institute, of which I'm a member. And I was reading one of the little sections, articles, really not a full article, but really just a little piece around unconscious bias, particularly within hiring in organizations. And this piece was actually done by a lady by the name of Jill Noble. And she, I believe, runs or, or facilitates the um, Managing Unconscious Bias course for the Australian Human Resources Institute. And reading this, this little short article really got me thinking about unconscious bias. And another name for unconscious bias is also called cognitive biases. So you might kind of hear those used interchangeably, unconscious bias versus cognitive bias. And just a really quick definition of, of what, what it is. It's um, a repeating or basic misstep in thinking, assessing, recollecting, or other cognitive processes. So this is any thought process that you have about anything. There's potential mistakes that you can make around those thought processes and those are actually called biases and I, there, there's multiples and I'll get into some of them more specific here in a little bit. I found one article that listed nearly 50 different types of cognitive or unconscious biases that we can have. At the end of the day, having biases, everybody has them first of all. Let me make that very clear. Every living person has some sort of bias to different extents, uh, different degrees uh, of, of that bias, but everybody has. It's called being human. It's human nature. And it's not say what we think or how we think about other people. It's what we think and how we process information, how we apply that information. Anyway, so I read this little article. It got me more interested in, in more from, you know, wanting to know more information around cognitive bias or unconscious bias. And I actually found an article uh, that appeared in Management Science, which is a peer-reviewed journal, back in October 2015. And this one it actually has, uh, I think, six different authors uh, from City University of London, Boston University, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, I think University of Colorado, such. But anyway, uh, some of the information I found it, I found quite interesting. I actually read a, a quote that's in this article and this quote is actually from another article that was published in 1977. But it says, A lack of conscious access to judgment-forming processes means that people are often unaware of their own biases, even though they can readily spot the same bias in the judgments of others. Consequently, most people tend to believe that, on average, they are less biased in their judgment and behavior than are their peers. So again, everybody has biases. We all have them. But in ourselves, we tend not to think that there is pronounced or as big as they are in other people. It's easier to see those biases come out in other people than they are for ourselves. Again, this is another type of bias. And they actually call this the, bi the bias blind spot. I don't think I actually gave the, the name of this article, but the article is called Bias Blind Spot Structure Measurement Consequences. And again, I'll actually put a link to that article in the show notes. And they go on to say later on in the article that the bias blind spot has been attributed to the interplay of two phenomena, the introspection illusion and the naive realism. And it's pretty interesting. So introspection, of course, is how we actually reflect on our own uh, feelings and emotions and mental state and things like that. So 
the introspection illusion, this is from the article, results from differences in the availability and perceived diagnostic value of introspection when assessing oneself and other people. So when people evaluate the extent of bias in their own behavior, they base their evaluation on introspection. So because introspection is likely to reveal biased thought processes, people conclude that their judgment and behavior are unbiased. So it's quite easy to look at ourselves and go, well, no, I'm not biased, you know, but, but we're actually, we're overlooking our actual biases. So it's quite interesting. And then naive realism is a belief that one's perception reflects the true state of the world, then generates a false sense of these charitable self-assessments are genuine rather than positively biased. So if you think about this, we all develop a worldview based off our, our life experience and how we view the world and, and our thoughts around a multitude of things within our life and society, um, you know, our likes, dislikes, what, you know, things like that. And because we think this way, we assume that other people think that way. So that's that naive realism that this is the world and this is how everybody sees the world. Um, and we got to actually realize sometimes that not everybody sees the world the same way we do. So everybody sees a little bit different. So, you know, you'll hear a few papers shuffling again here. So what are some of the biases? And some of these you've probably heard before. And, and some of these biases actually have multiple names. Really depends on, on what which one it is. So just a couple kind of highlight ones. The uh, first one is anchoring bias. It's the whenever we receive information or we're trying to gather information around something, it's over-relying on the first piece of information that we get. So basically, if someone tells us something, the first person that tells us something, their point of view on something that's happened, we, we take that as the anchoring basis or the basis that we actually view that whatever happened or is happening from. So we, it's very difficult for us to process or use other information to change our thought process around that. Another one is something called the bandwagon effect. And you might have heard this has the, the herd mentality or group think. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a person, they're, they're more likely to go along with the belief if there are many others who hold that belief. It's very difficult for people to go against a certain belief if there's a lot of people that are, are in that or, or believe that belief. You know, if everybody's shaking their head up and down north and south saying yes, it's very difficult for them to go east and west and say no. Um, it's just part of that herd mentality. People want to be included. They don't want to feel like they're an outsider and that's why they do it. Uh, another one is called and, and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, apnophenia. Uh, it's also something called patternicity, or you might have heard it referred to as the gambler's fallacy. And this is because humans have a tendency to put meaning or meaningful patterns into random data or think, take out a random data and, and think that it actually has a, a meaningful pattern to it. And that's, you know, the gambler's fallacy, I guess, is rationalizing, well, this is the pattern that it goes in. So basically I'm due for this to happen, or this is bound to happen because this is the pattern. Whenever there really is no pattern there to follow. Um, another type of bias is confirmation bias. And it's paying more attention to information that reinforces our beliefs or what we believe around something and ignoring evidence that's contrary to that will dismiss that evidence. Go Well, no, that, that doesn't actually fit with my belief. And, and sometimes we don't do that knowingly. You know, we, we look at it and go, well, it's not credible information, so we disregard it. Well, it actually was credible, even though it wasn't along the same point of view that you had. That's actually why you um, ignored that, that data. And then another one is fundamental attribution error, or this could be called attribution bias. Basically, it's when 
individuals assess or attempt to discover explanation behind their own or others' behaviors, or overemphasizing personal factors and underestimating situational factors when explaining other people's behavior. And a good example of this would probably be if you're sitting in a meeting and someone's running late, they come in late, and you assume that, well, they're late because they didn't care about what time it started, they're lazy, uh, they don't want to be here, something like that. And you only actually take these other factors into account, like they were stuck in traffic or they got held up doing something else within the office or, or whatever. We just automatically attribute it to that individual and not the factors that got them there. And this, I find it, it's actually, you got to be really careful when you, with this bias really showing its ugly head, whenever you're going through disciplinary actions within the workplace, you really need to find out you know, what's what's happening to make this person react this way at work? What's happening to keep this person from showing up to work on time? What's happening to keep this person from showing up to this meeting or doing this? Look at the other factors outside of the person themselves. Because remember, it's not about them. It's about the situation. Uh, the halo effect. I'm sure we've all heard of this. It's judging others similarly on traits, assuming that because someone is good or bad at something. So bad, you can actually call it the horn effect. So you actually have the halo effect and the horn effect, you know, the the, uh, the angel and the devil. I guess two different sides are good and bad, that they will also be equally good or bad at other things. So basically, if someone's good all the time, they're good at everything. That's a halo effect. If someone's bad at something or they're bad all the time, that's the horn effect. And, and we, we tend to start viewing people in these lights, but is that actually a fair assessment of them? The ostrich effect, you see, I see this a lot, and I've actually been called in as a consultant quite a few times because of things like this. It's avoiding bad news about a decision by ignoring data that might be negative. It's also ignoring situations that might be negative. You know, the ostrich, they go stick their head in the sand and they ignore it. And I've actually um, been quite successful in being called in as a consultant, be able to address difficult things or difficult data and bring them forward where people don't want to. And it's because of that ostrich effect or that, you know, that bias that we're not, not willing to, I guess, address those negative things. Another one is the recency effect or that recency bias. So basically things that have happened most recently, they're easier for us to remember and we'll use that information um, and it'll weigh more heavily on us than past events or, or, or data that was there or situations that happened around how we form our view on future events. You know, if you go through a stage where oh, all these bad things have happened to me over the last month, then obviously bad things are going to keep happening to me whenever, you know, you went the last 10 years without something bad happening to you. You know, you're, you're just in that phase. But that recency, same thing too. Oh, everything's going my way. It's all going very well. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Well, that's, that's part of that recency effect. And uh, one more I'll talk about before we move on is something called the zero risk bias. And that's preferring the choice that provides certainty of a small, smaller benefit as opposed to an alternative with more risk and greater potential benefit. That's whenever you're actually, I guess, weighing up the risk of different, uh, I guess, factors or whatever and think, well, th this is the safe one. So it is obviously the best one to do. And uh, sometimes it might not be the best one to do. And it might not actually be the safest one to do. And we kind of overestimate the the outcomes of those or, or the return on the risk there. So you say, okay, well, everybody has biases. These are some of the different types of bias. Again, there's a multitude of different types of biases. And I really encourage you to read more on the different types and become familiar with them. Because when you look at it in your work environment, and also not just your work environment, but also your, your personal environment too, how does it affect your work environment? How does it affect your personal life? So in the work environment, you can have some very talented people that could potentially be left out of things uh, because you're actually not 
promoting people who should be promoted. You know, this is one of the biases, and I have no idea which what, what this one would be called, but around you know, introverts versus extroverts. A lot of times extrovert extroverts will be promoted above introverts because they're just more outspoken and more visible, where the introvert is actually more qualified and more capable of the role. But because they're quiet, they don't get promoted as quickly as those extroverts or their extroverted peers. Um, you could also actually promote people of a, a similar race or similar background to you over someone who's not because of those biases. And sometimes you don't realize you're actually doing that, you know, showing that favoritism. Uh, and diverse voices aren't heard in meetings. And, you know, you're not making decisions based off all the, the proper information that you need because of this. The culture of organization isn't actually being inclusive and living those workplace principles of inclusivity. And this is a big thing around, you know, diversity of having a diverse organization does not equal inclusivity. You can have a diverse organization that is not inclusive. If that diverse organization, everybody tends to stick with those like groups. So, and they develop these cliques and things within the organization. True inclusion is where everybody has a voice regardless. And because of that, with these biases, sometimes your employees aren't actually able to fully contribute to the organization, the success of the organization. And it does have a massive effect on the the productivity and the creativity of your team and your organization. So obviously we want to address biases in the workplace as much as we can. And I don't think it's the fact that we're going to eliminate it. Again, if you want to eliminate biases in your work environment, you don't have to eliminate all the people because it's just human nature. But I do think we can reduce them down to a man to a level to where they're not they're no longer a factor so why would we why would we do that of course it's going to improve decision making it's going to improve the creativity which means whenever you're looking for solutions to problems and things like that you're actually going to come up with with far greater number of of options it actually improves people's health and well-being because they'll feel more positive about the workplace and they'll feel healthier in the workplace it won't be causing a lot of issues so so what can you do to I guess, address this in your workplace or become very, very aware of, of it and how it affects your workplace and make sure that doesn't happen. The first thing is to become aware of your own conscious biases. Again, going back to that um, introspection, it was introspection illusion, or it's very difficult for us to identify our own conscious biases. There's, there's a few ways we can do it. There's actually, Harvard has something called the Harvard Implicit Assessment Test. And it will give us kind of a, a level of bias towards certain things. There's multiple different types of tests. And, and I'll, I'll put a link to that one in the show notes as well. But there's multiple different types of tests that they have to help us determine what are our conscious biases. But also, too, we can listen for feedback as well sometimes in the feedback that people give us. And if they say, oh, you know, you probably didn't think about this or that in, in this way. And that kind of confirms some of those biases. And we're aware of that. You can build those diverse and inclusive teams. You know, build the diversity within your team and then allow for that inclusivity and listen for that and make sure that people are actually all able to lead. You know, continue to re- reflect on your on your thinking, reflect on the group interactions and really make sure that your organization is being as inclusive as possible and actually have open discussions about unconscious bias in the workplace or these cognitive biases in the workplace. I think the more aware people are of the different types of biases and actually how we can address them and, and what the examples are, the, the easier it is for us to address it. Look for one of these, you know, managing uh, the unconscious bias type courses that this lady, uh, Jill Noble, leads, or uh, there's multiple or I guess a lot of countries have a, a human resources industry body that potentially teaches these kinds of, of courses as well. So educate ourselves, be aware, and have open and frank conversations about these biases. They're, they're not necessarily a bad thing, 
It's just being aware of them so that we can address them. But anyway, I'd really like to know what is your experience with these unconscious or cognitive bias? What have you done in order to address them in the workplace or make the workplace more inclusive? And how do you apply some of these things? You know, what's your experience with it? Let me know. Give me some feedback. Really interested to hear about this. Uh, It's a really interesting topic. Anyway, have a good one and we'll come to you again soon. Thanks.